Okay, well, atamaria everyone. Uh, I'm Nina Kuri, uh, for those of you who don't know me, and it's my honour to be leading our service this morning. Um, as Rachel just said, Clay had uh, a procedure in the past fortnight and has developed complications, which means uh, he thought he'd be back by now, but is still recovering. And so we're covering services in the meantime. Uh, Clay, uh, if you're... If you watch this later, and perhaps Rachel, can you tell him our thoughts and prayers are with you uh, and get better quickly, okay? Um, and thank you to uh, Betsy and Shireen and, and Rachel for helping pull this service together at short notice. So you'll see Rachel helping with tech as we go through, and Betsy and Shireen have been in the background helping me think of music and little bits and pieces to um mean that we have what we have this morning, and I hope it suffices. Uh, so it's my honour to say today, tēnā koutou te whānau o Auckland Unitarian, tēnā koutou ngā manuhiri. Greetings to you Auckland Unitarian family, and greetings to our guests, No mai haere mai, ki tēnei whare karakia o te atua. Welcome to this church a space of connectedness made sacred by Auckland Unitarians. And on this day, where our church building, which was first opened in 1901, so over 120 years ago, has members of our congregation in it for the first time in a long time. And here I'm adopting the words of Marilyn Fokowski from the UUA website. We know you come here all of you, whether you're in person or on Zoom with us this morning, for different reasons. To find community, to seek your spiritual and personal truths, to question, to nurture your heart and soul, to be nurtured, to explore new ideas, to find comfort, and perhaps to find the answers to some of your bigger questions. So... Tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou, tēnā tātou katoa. Kia ora, hui hui mai tātou. Greetings and welcome to you all. Let's gather now for a good discussion. So, my opening words are from Chip Rausch, again from the UU website. We're about to enter sacred time. We're about to make this time and this place, both, both physical and metaphysical, sacred by our presence and our intention. As we turn off or silence our phones, let us also turn down the volume on our fears. Remove our masks, not those of you in person, and loosen the armor around our hearts. Don't take my word for it. Do it as slowly as you need to. If you take a little risk with these good people, you may find that they have the same human needs as you do. Breathe. Let go of the expectations placed on you by others and those you may have been taught to place on yourself. Drop the guilt and the shame, just for now, not to shirk accountability, but an honest expectation of the possibility of forgiveness. Drop the, let go of the thing you said the other day 
Let go of the thing you're dreading next week. Be here in this moment. Breathe here. Let's light the chalice. Tess, would you? And I'll light one here and light your candles too, those of you on screen. Every endeavour begins with a first step and encounters darkness and difficulty along the way. We light this chalice in anticipation of knowing the dawning of the light, the beginnings of hope and the renewal of life. And you'll see our covenant words in the chat. Rachel, could you put them there for us? Let's say together, love is the doctrine of this church. The quest for truth is its sacrament and service is its prayer. To dwell together in peace, to seek knowledge and freedom, to serve humankind in fellowship, to the end that all souls shall grow in harmony. Thus do we covenant with each other and with our God. Okay, well then, over to me. Um, the title of my address today is That I Might Know My Mind. And let me give you a sense of where I'm going with this. There are just so many things to worry about right now, it feels like. Um, there are so many things that I worry about. Uh, here's a list from the last week. Whether I'm parenting my kids, right? Whether they're getting enough vegetables, whether I'm getting enough vegetables, uh, whether I'll do a good job at work next week, uh, whether a new COVID variant will be even worse, uh, that nuclear power station in Ukraine that's being shelled, uh, the economy, the cost of living, uh, whether a recession is coming and whether that will even fix inflation if it does come, uh, climate change naturally, uh, whether I'll do a good enough job with this service. Uh, there's a lot to worry about. Um, and that's on top of all the other mundane and routine things to think about and remember every day. We're learning now that the way that we live, including with our phones and social media and technology, that distraction at and its flip side, the ability to focus, is becoming harder, right? I have what Buddhists and meditators call a monkey mind. Hands up if you've heard of the concept of a monkey mind before. Okay, about half. A monkey mind is, as it sounds, a, like a wild animal. A, wild, a mind that's going in more than one direction at a time and swinging from one branch of thought to the next. Now, in my professional life, as a mediator of disputes, not a meditator, a mediator, it's very useful to have a mind moving quickly. Right? So I get rewarded every day, and it's important in my professional life to have a mind that moves like that. So it's useful as a mediator, but not as a meditator. I know that it would be good and healthy and useful to slow my mind down from time to time. 
but I find it really hard to do. Do any of you find the same thing? So I'm going to read you an article today that I was sent recently and liked. Um, see what you think. It was published in April 2011 by a, a famous and venerable Buddhist monk called Achan Sumedho. Achan in the Buddhist tradition means teacher. And Achan Sumedho is an American who became a monk in the 1960s in the Theravada Buddhist forest tradition of north northeast Thailand. So Achan Samedo helped establish monasteries in this tradition in the West. There's a central, the HQ monastery in the UK, and then branch monasteries around the world. So, And there are two in New Zealand, one in Auckland in Bombay, and one in the Stokes Valley in Wellington. Uh, he is a revered teacher amongst Westerners who follow the Theravada Buddhist tradition. So I thought um, this article resonated with me and I thought we I'd read a bit of it to you and then perhaps at the end we could give it a go, spend a couple of minutes together doing what Achan Samedo is inviting us to do and sit in quietness observing our thoughts and see how that goes. Sound okay? All right. It's called Compose Your Minds. It's by Archan Sumedho. Compose your minds. Look inwards and become aware of the here and now. The body, the breath, the mental state, the mood you are in without trying to control or judge or do anything. Just allow everything to be what it is. For many people, the attitude towards meditation is one of always trying to change something, always trying to attain a particular state or recreate some kind of blissful experience remembered from the past or of hoping to achieve or reach a certain state by practicing. When we practice meditation with the idea of having to do something, however, then even the idea of practice, even the word meditation, will bring up this idea that if I'm in a bad mood, I should get rid of that bad mood. Or if my mind is scattered and I'm all over the place, then I should make it focused and one-pointed. In other words, we make meditation into hard work. So then there's a great deal of failure in it because we try to control everything through these ideas. But that's an impossibility. The idea of going off into a cave to be by yourself is very attractive because then you have more control, really. You don't have to talk to people or get caught up in confusing worldly sensory impingements. And as you settle into solitude, you experience a level of tranquility through lack of sensory stimulation. It's actually a form of sensory deprivation. That tranquility, however, is easily disturbed. You can't sustain it when sensory impingements start pounding away at you again. And then you get into, let me go back into my cave. That kind of mind. And you can begin to hate people. You see them as a threat. Here they come again. They're going to disrupt my samadhi, which means concentration. But this can't possibly be the way to liberation. 
The other extreme is to think you shouldn't go off into the cave and practice meditation. Just be natural and let everything happen. Which is true if you can do it that way. But if you don't even know what's natural yet, it's difficult to trust that you're doing it. The word meditation covers many mental experiences. But the goal of Buddhist meditation is to see things as they are. It's a state of awakened attention. And this is a very simple thing. It isn't complicated or difficult or something that takes years to achieve. It's so easy, in fact, that you don't even notice it. When you think in terms of having to practice meditation, you're conceiving it as something you have to attain. You have to subdue your defilements. You have to control your emotions. You have to develop virtues in order to attain some kind of ideal state of mind. You might have images of a lot of yogis sitting in remote places on mountaintops and in caves. And even the Buddha image can convey the sense of remoteness and separation if you don't know how to use that particular icon. And it all sounds very remote and very far from what you can expect from your life as a human being. In developing an attitude towards formal practice or daily life practice of meditation, therefore we often separate the true, the formal and the daily life. We think of formal practice as a very controlled retreat situation where we all live by a routine, a structure, and when we leave that structured retreat we refer to daily life meditation. But that can seem hopeless, can't it? If we compare daily life with a very controlled meditation retreat, it's really different. We can't live in that controlled structure as an ongoing experience. The real challenge is to develop attention, awakenedness in the flow of life. This doesn't remove the option of going on retreat or diminish the value of that in any way. The point is to look at meditation as awakenedness and awareness throughout daily life, in whatever way we live and in whatever conditions. There is in that the sense of allowing things to be in this present moment, allowing whatever way the body is or the emotional and mental states right now to be the way they are. Just be the observer of whatever is. Right now, the mood is this. I feel this. Just be aware whether you're confused, indifferent, happy, sad, uncertain, or whatever. Be that which allows things to be what they are. So for the next few minutes, try to look inwards with this attitude of observing your mood your mental quality, your emotional quality. What you find might be very precise, like anger, or it might be something that's very sharp, but a lot of our emotions are just nebulous, amorphous, wandering things. But put yourself in this position of being the Buddha. The Buddha means the one who knows or is aware. The knower, this sense of awakened attention, not the judge, but simply looking and noticing what kind of mood or feeling you have right now. When you start noticing, really listening or paying attention and sustaining 
an awareness on just this mood or this mental state. You become aware of bodily tensions, maybe feelings of bewilderment, or maybe not quite knowing what you're supposed to be doing. But if, say, bewilderment is there, be aware of that bewilderment as a mental object. It's something that you can recognize. If you put yourself in the position of the Buddha, the Buddha, your emotional state, and this, what am I supposed to be doing, can then itself be seen as a mental object. Awareness or paying attention is not a gaining situation. It's not something to be done in order to get anything or achieve anything. It's not a worldly state that we have to get. And this is the radical idea. We're not being encouraged to get our concentration. Or is it a matter of proving anything? That generally goes with the fear that we won't be able to do that. Maybe I'm one of those people that will never get enlightened. There's another one of those thoughts that we all sometimes revert to. I don't expect to get enlightened in this lifetime. I just don't have what it takes. Well, don't believe that one either. Achan Cha, an even more venerated Buddhist monk, had this attitude about meditation being a holiday for the heart. We tend to see meditation as something we have to do, another thing we have to achieve and get. But Achan Chah would put it in the context of a holiday. So try that. Try seeing meditation in that way. You don't have to achieve anything, get any great insights, attain any high stages, purify yourself, get rid of your evil thoughts or anything at all. We're not trying to judge thoughts in terms of their quality, for example. We're just noting that they are. And he finishes by saying, one suggestion of how to maintain awareness is to have a sense of humility and simplicity. These things help. There is a monk at his monastery, Amaravati, who tends to strive too hard, then fail, then get depressed, then frustrated by the thought that he needs more solitude, more isolation and a different environment. He thinks that there are too many distractions at the monastery, too many people. When I have this feeling, one way I have of handling it is to be grateful for the moments that I am mindful. If I get caught up in the life of the monastery, pulled this way and that, and I'm not very mindful, and then suddenly I remember. And I treasure that. I value that moment rather than thinking, oh, I'm trying to be mindful and I can't do it all the time. And beating myself up because I vowed in the morning to be mindful the whole day but failed. I'd go into these states of, oh, there I go again, I shouldn't have done that, and I nag myself and criticize myself and feel like a failure. But even if there is only one moment in the whole day when I am mindful, I can feel this thank you. To me, that's more helpful than beating yourself up because that doesn't help in any way. Meditation isn't a matter of success, of being able to achieve goals and prove ourselves. Think about that. Okay, so 
I invite all of us now for let's say two minutes to stay here now together in silence for two minutes. You can put yourself on mute if you want to, but you don't have to, okay? And we're not gonna go into breakouts for this. Let's just all stay together. And those of you in the church, just try to observe your thoughts in the way that Archan Samedo suggests and breathe. Pay attention to those thoughts with radical acceptance. This is, it just is, and that's okay. Let's start now. And if your mind wanders, notice that too, and that's okay. That's one minute, one minute more. Okay, that's two minutes. I'm going to open up breakout rooms now. Just for five minutes, say. And invite you to talk with each other about what that was like, what you observed, and what bubbled up for you when you observed those thoughts.
Hello everyone, welcome back. Okay, it's time for us to extinguish the chalice. So let's say together. Thanks Tess. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we carry in our hearts until we are together again. Okay. Well, thank you everyone for allowing me to lead today. And thank you to Rachel and to Betsy and Shireen for uh, helping pull this together, this service. Um, I enjoyed doing that with you. My closing words are from Eleanor Westbrook. It's called Being Present. Let every moment be a prayer. With every sip of tea, let your lips move in thanksgiving. Be fully present to every stroke of the hairbrush, every cup of milk you pour for the children. Be present without judgment or regret, without plans or expectations, or sometimes even dreams. And then every moment can become a prayer.